Hello, I'm Mark Petruzzi, host of Selling the Cloud podcast. And I'm Ray Reich, your co-host of the show. We talk to a wide variety of cloud and SaaS industry thought leaders and revenue generation experts. Who share their unique insight into what is required to build and grow a great business in the cloud. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of Selling the Cloud Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Petruzzi, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Reich. And today we're happy to have as our guest, Joseph Fung, who's a multiple-time CEO at B2B companies like Kite, Tribe HR, and now building out a business around Uvaro as well. So today we're going to cover three main areas with Joseph, the evolution of the B2B seller, the just critical sales skills that you know really drive new opportunities and better production by the modern day seller. And in general, how sales B2B roles will evolve over the next two years, three years, five years. So Joseph, please take a moment to share a little bit about your background and your world thus far and what has brought you today to our guest on Selling the Cloud podcast. Welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Mark. Ray, this is, this is such a fun conversation. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It's in my journey a little bit. For those who are listening in, I'm a repeat tech entrepreneur, meaning I'm an engineer turned entrepreneur, done the software thing a few times, and every step of the journey, building our sales and marketing team was the toughest thing. And yeah, Mark, Ray, I'm sure you see this with, with other CEOs and founders. And for me, my real aha moment was when our most recent company, that was building sales tech led me to speak to more heads of sales and more CEOs and realizing it wasn't just me, it was all of us were struggling. And so we ended up trying to solve that problem and launched Juvaro, where we're helping folks who are selling in, in other industries, other roles, motorcycles, service hotels, get into tech and helping them sell the cloud. And it's amazing because we're changing lives every single day and I can't imagine doing anything different. Joseph, that's great. So yeah, let's dive in. As you already mentioned, you have this very incredibly deep technical background as a Mm. computer engineer. So of course, that has put you into a great spot to start up and build some of the companies that you have built, but it probably hasn't put you in the best spot for knowing how to drive complex sales organizations. So, you know, tell us a little bit about you know, how you took that background and how it brought you to more of the CEO role as one step. And then a little bit more about just, you know, how you have learned and evolved around the sales process along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. That engineering background, it lends me to take a very technocratic approach to problems. You know, I want to see the data. I want to know what's going on. And I'm sure anyone in sales ops, you know, it feels the same. Hey, we're not hitting target. What's going on under the hood? Yeah. Yeah. That's me tinkering with us. You know, what, what got us down this path was again, looking at the data. So we had a sales playbooks platform, you know, tens of thousands of sales professionals at the hottest software companies using it to run their objection handling, their discovery questions, you know, their sales scripts. And what we started seeing in the data was that the high performing teams were using our tools, putting different information than the teams who were struggling. And as we came back to our customers to figure out what the heck was going on, We're like why is this dichotomy exist? We learned that the really high performing teams, they were investing a lot in training. Like they were bringing in a lot of consultants, a lot of trainers, you know, the best in breed, they were investing in their teams, but they also had a different approach to the way they actually you know, delivered 
sales training and sales knowledge. And it's actually those patterns that we could uncover in the data that helped us build out our curriculum and helped us build out the model. And what's so cool about it is that this stuff is replicable. Like it's not magic. It's not rocket science. It's spending time with humans to help them do the right thing. <laughs> it's so funny. I say that knowing that I've spent my the last two decades of my career building software and selling tools and saying tools are going to solve all things. And the reality is there's a lot more to it than that. Joseph, let me double click on that because what I do for a living is market research in the B2B mm -hmm. tech space. And over the last few years, the percentage of B2B salespeople who are making quota has mm -hmm. went from 70 to 68 to 63. And last year, the two research reports I've read anywhere from 47 to 52% of people made quota. Totally. At the same time, research says we're spending 20, 30, up to $50 billion a year in the United States alone on sales training. What's going on here? Because it doesn't seem like all this training that we're doing is being reflected in outcomes and performance. Well, here's an interesting one I'll, I'll kind of throw over to. 50 billion in sales training, sure. But let's take a look at cloud software. That's going to grow to 800 billion in the next, what, eight years. So yeah, we're spending a lot on tools too. You're right about the performance and you're right about the training. One of the challenges that I see is that companies, because they train their whole teams and the way the corporate training works, you can't do it continuously. You know, you get a trainer in once, twice a year often, maybe you're doing a refresher, but that's really tough. And if you hire a sales rep and you've only got your, your you know, top class trainers coming in annually, that means on average, it's gonna be six months before they see anyone. And that gap means the average ramp time for a sales rep in the software industry is eight months. So if you say, hey, you hire someone, it takes eight months from the ramp, they only hit 60% of quota. I mean, you've lost three quarters of their first year's sales because you've undertrained your people. And I'd argue, yeah, 50 billion sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, to get to that 800 billion that's going to happen, we're not spending enough as an industry. Yeah, you know what, Joseph, and I'm going to actually take us a little further in that whole model because I have a very particular point of view around sales training. And mm. the core of that point of view is that most of it is really unnecessary. And especially in the new world of selling we live in today, where some of those old skills that many somewhat old individuals who are sales trainers are still peddling and positioning is not the way to sell nowadays. So, you know, as I get involved after writing, selling the cloud and being brought in and being even pursued by sales training companies, my answer has been, it's not about sales training. It's about sales transformation. It's, a, it's about next gen sales and doing things differently. And we can have a whole podcast just on that alone. <laughs> but back to, you know, this great area where you are focused on, you know, B2B selling and selling in the clouds, selling in SaaS has really evolved over the last few years. It was moving really quickly before the pandemic. As we all know, it's accelerated even from there. And with Avaro, you really see individuals who come in with no sales background, you know, no SaaS or technology background, but are amazing, talented people. And you see mm. all the skills they bring to the equation. And then I'm sure you see companies and individuals that have been doing this for a while and still have significant gaps in their skill gap into what they need to be successful. Tell us more about what you're seeing, maybe what you see from each of those two constituent groups. And, you know, where do you think our industry needs to go from here? Not even to sell more, just to be able to deliver more to our clients and our prospects. And by the way, we do that we'll sell more at the same time. 
Yeah, it's, it's such a great question. I love the stats. Like, Ray, I'm glad you, you talked about those stats earlier because when I think about that higher overarching, where do we want to head? As a CEO, it galls me that we have all these models where only 60% of people hit quota. I mean, then you've got a huge portion of your team that feels like a failure. You're increasing the amount of inequality within your own team, let alone the industries. So if I think about where we need to head, it'd be way better if we had a much higher percentage of people who are hitting quota. We had a stronger sense of like farm team development. And but the, the average tenure of a B2B software sales rep is a year and a half. Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, sorry, I, I digress. But what we see, what gets me really excited is we often lose track of the fact that the reality of our employees is not the reality of the average North American professional. Like if you work in software sales, you can make a lot of money. And even if you aren't crushing quota, your, your base is generally pretty solid. There's some slight variances, but you're making some decent cash. What we see, you know, so to give you some real numbers, the median income of our members, our students, when they come in was $28,000. Wow. They're solidly in the bottom quartile of income. And so to put in a point, 21, the 21st quartile is where our members are on average. Right. And when they graduate and land their roles, they're being brought up to the 46th quartile because they're coming out and they're earning 70K, 80K. And these are people who, well, again, were in oil fields where they know what it means to treat someone with respect. They know what it means to hear someone's story. So when we talk about those fundamentals like discovery, knowing the customer, qualifying, these are all very, very transferable skills. And the part that gets so exciting is we also sometimes see professionals who are actively selling in other industries. Uh, we had one professional this just two weeks ago. I love this story. He's in uh, just outside Atlanta. He's been selling roofing. So he's been a sales manager selling roofing. He knows how to sell. Wasn't getting any interviews. You know, all these tech companies were saying, hey, you got to be a BDR. Put in your time. You know, go back. 40K base. And he just signed back a deal. His offer was just north of 170K OTE. And that is amazing because this is someone whose the doors were just being closed left, right, and center. And the firm that he's at, he's going to crush it. And I mean, he's just accepted that role, so we haven't seen where he comes now, but our grads, by and large, are twice as likely to exceed quota than their peers who are hired at the same time. And yeah, when you take that kind of vim and vigor and energy and apply it to software sales, the companies succeed and the employees succeed. I have a couple of questions I want to ask you, and I think the first one I'm going to ask, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of what I thought I was oh, going no, to go ask for you, yeah. <laughs> that is, I was involved in digital marketing skills training and certification several years ago before digital marketing skills were just prerequisite for any B2B tech company, right? Mm -hmm. It was amazing at how many traditional marketing people, non-marketing people we trained. Why do you think in today's world, we're not offering B2B sales curriculum at colleges? Why does mm -hmm. it have to be a private company like you, which is wonderful, but are we gonna start training college people how to do B2B sales as a major? I wish, I really do wish. It is appalling, less than 2% of colleges and universities have any kind of sales training. And when they do, it's usually one class in a marketing diploma. So I think there's actually two larger forces at play. The first is very you know, kind of like factual. You know, everyone talks about how like, over the previous decade, marketing went from being more of an art to more of a science. You, you can measure everything, you can attribute it, like everything you spoke about there, right? Sales is going through that same renaissance. You know, where everything you know is measurable. It is a process. There's a methodology. And I think there's a natural lag between that type of a realization and then getting into academia. So I think there's just a natural delay. But I think the second thing is the reality is academia, a large part of it is about prestige. 
it's like, hey, you went and you studied this exciting thing with this exciting logo and you can get the crest and get the leather jacket and, and all that kind of stuff. And for a lot of people, sales still has that stigma of the cliched car salesperson, the Glenn Clary, Glenn Ross, the coffees for closers. And in all honesty, the, the administrators who approve new programs, new degrees, need to get comfortable challenging their own assumptions and biases because you know, somebody who's got elbow patches because they sat in an academic office for the last 20 decades doesn't necessarily have the most up-to-date perception of what it means to be a sales professional. And we've got to challenge that. I'm going to double click on that. You know what we found was that continuing ed departments at universities were the early adopters of these oh, types yeah. of programs because they're a for-profit and they're trying to help their alums who need to make more money and have better career paths. So I think continue ed might yeah. be where we first see it, Joseph. And, and they're for-profit. Well, they're trying to sell. So they see it yeah. and they know it. <laughs> Well, and I'll tell you, it is progressing, but it's progressing slowly. And I'll yeah. give you an example where it, it lags. And I'll give you an example where things have stepped up. In general, it lags even in the corporate education departments. And I've worked very closely, for example, with Duke Corporate Education, which spun out of the Fuqua School of Business and is by far the most successful corporate education organization on the planet. They've won that title now seven, eight, ten years straight. And same story. Most of them come from academia. And, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, one year ago, you know, as I get involved with different board advisories and other work, I always come back with the, it's time for sales. It's time for sales type model and still not there yet. Progressing, but not there yet. So, you know, and Columbia, Columbia Business School, my alma mater, same story. It's progressing. Then there's two other dynamics. So there are schools maybe that carry a little less prestige than the two schools I just mentioned that are moving quicker. And, you know, that's been great. And, you know, that progress, I think, will continue. And then there are the, the organizations that just jump ahead. So, for example, uh, and I really have to credit a person as much as the institution, Harvard Business School mm -hmm. has really made an investment in sales, uh, in sales training and education. And that's been driven by a friend of mine, Mark LaBerge. Mark is the founding CRO of HubSpot incredible, successful individual, joint BS and MBA from MIT. But he's, he's on the other side of Cambridge with Harvard running their number of their initiatives. He's an adjunct, you know, but at the end of the day, he has made it clear to Harvard and within Harvard that sales is important. And most of what he does really has that focus. So there's signs to be encouraged here. It's good, Joseph, for you that it's not moving so quickly because in a way, you know, I don't think competition is going to slow you down one way or another, but probably be more helpful than not. But at the end of the day, it is, it is building and that's a good thing for all of us. It is. And I love all of these really early signs. Like Mark is so brilliant. And I feel so fortunate because I had the chance to, to chat with him and learn from him, you know, even before he, he left HubSpot and the way he thought about it, like you could tell this is the future of sales. And there's some amazing academics like Joel LeBron, who's building out amazing programs, but it's not enough. Like, not enough. So, so I don't mean to tear down their work, but across North America, these programs graduate less than 3,000 grads a year. Even if we only look at software as a service, to get to 800 billion over the next decade, we need 360,000 <laughs> new sales professionals. So, you know, I love and applaud everything that they're doing because we need so much more. 
Yeah, and Joseph, it's funny you bring up Joel, another friend of mine and someone <laughs> I think that is incredible. And yeah, there needs to be more of us out there building this momentum. Yeah. There needs to be more universities taking this you know, seriously. But it's interesting. We had a good opportunity to just name two of the best in the business leading us there. And that's that's phenomenal. But I'd actually push for anybody that's on the call like who's listening in, who's a CEO or who's a founder. If you get the chance to chat with your, your college and university administrators, I, I do this all the time. I sit on panels, they, they reach out like, hey, what does the industry need? And right now, like every conversation I'm in, there's a founder, the CEO is like, we need more engineers. And, and they give really bold targets. Like, it's nice that you want to add 30% more engineers, but you need 10 times the engineers. And university and college administrators are hearing that left, right, and center. They need to hear the same thing about sales. They need so, to so hear Joseph. the same thing. So I'll go in a slightly different direction there too. There's a way that some of this momentum has happened. Mm -hmm. And it's a, there's a way where, where all the CEOs and other successful people in our industries can help. It's not only the administrators of the deans, it's the, the fundraising side of the equation. So we yeah. all give lots of, you know, gifts back to our universities and schools that we feel we've benefited from along the way. It's kind of nice to be able to come back and say, and by the way, at the same time we're making this donation, these are some things we'd like to see happen because it comes with it. There is that platform and it's not inappropriate to bring it up. And I'll give you another example. Paul Melchiori, my co-author of Selling the Cloud, is very closely connected to Villanova where he did his MBA. And guess what? He's had the opportunity a few times over the last few years to say, you know, you need to think a little more about sales. You need to build things. And Villanova has an incredible business school guess what? They're building these types of programs. Nice. There's some things that Paul is doing. There's some things that I'm even getting involved in there that will will help. So um, I just wanted to put that one little point in that uh, if the, the deans will listen, but the, uh, the individuals in charge of fundraising will probably listen yeah. a little bit more closely. I, I, I love that. You, you should invite me to speak at the Mark Petruzzi School of Sales once that happens at your alma mater. And I'll invite you to speak at the Joseph Hung School of Sales when my alma mater gets get up and running. Sounds like it. a plan. I love it. <laughs> so Joseph, like great entrepreneurs, we're going to pivot for just a minute. And I'm going to put in my obligatory Canadian reference. So Wayne Gretzky said, yeah. you need to, what reason he was so good was he was skating to where the puck was going, not where mm -hmm. it is. And I'm going to use that as a frame for B2B selling. Yeah. One of the things that I've been covering over the last few months is the evolution of product-led growth as a customer acquisition and customer acquisition expansion motion for cloud companies. Do you sure. think that's going to change the skills required for B2B sales professionals of the future in the cloud? Absolutely. It's funny because you, you talk to the people who get worried about this, you know, that they, they ask in very alarming ways, like, well, we still need salespeople. You know, is my job going to be automated away? And it, my, my first comment on that is no. So, so let's get that out of the way. The two things that stick out to me, though, are, you know, in product-led growth, really what it means is you're getting your product so polished, so usable, that your investments in product are really marketing investments. So... Like if you take a look at your overall expenses, you're really just moving, you know, a few zeros from your marketing budget and putting it into your product budget because you know that's going to drive growth. Ultimately, though, you still need to be able to sell and market. And you know, if we want to talk about large comparables, like uh, on average, you know, publicly traded software companies have twice as many sales professionals as they have engineers. 
You know, their, their marketing and sales budget is twice of what their R&D, their engineering budget is. The poster child of product-like growth, you take a look at Atlassian, and I mean, famous for not negotiating, self-service sales, super aggressive. When they IPO, they were, what, 14% sales and marketing versus the, the industry standard at about 35. And everyone looked at it, and they're like, oh my God, maybe we don't need sales, maybe we don't need marketing. But it's been solidly ticking up. You know, their most recent, you know, most recent quarters, they're sitting at about 25%. You know, they're, they're closing on the gap because... As you enter new markets, as you enter new segments, you need to understand that market, that segment, and your sales team does that. It's necessary. So what I'd say in terms of the changes that are, are needed is, yeah, that means you have to be much less of a product expert because it's going to be a lot easier for your customers to adopt it. But you need to be much more of an expert about the industry, the market, the people involved. So as a salesperson, you need to shift a little bit of your focus from being kind of the, the technical expert because the product you know eliminates a lot of that need and you've got to be even deeper with the customer because the competitive products that are really tailoring the needs are making that that fight a lot harder for you yeah and you know joseph i think it also comes down to how you define sales and what i mean by that is you know and it kind of goes and correlates back to the cro function versus the old kind of senior vice president of sales a cro to be successful needs to unequivocally have you know marketing or at minimum product based marketing reporting up to he or she yeah. it has to have in my view customer success which I define as part of sales. And by the way, we'll come back to it in a second. I would love to see if you have thought about building up and training customer success professionals a little separately, a little differently than the general sales side, but we'll come back to that. It really comes down to owning a portion or not all of the implementation, the activation side, and unequivocally really owning and respecting channels and alliances as well, because these are all the better ways to sell nowadays. So, you know, I, I look at product-led marketing as a perfect example. You know, what a great way to get in to generate an initial, initial lead. And then it's all about, it's not about selling that lead. It's about, you know, really making sure that they dive in with the product, you know, all many things that fall into customer success and really enabling and, and training and making sure that person's having a great customer experience. And if you do all those things, then sales are going to continue to grow. And I also believe in customer success, you know, because we all know there's many different views out there. You know, not only is customer success a sales function, it is a, a selling process as well. Mm -hmm. And there's individuals, very successful ones in customer success would say, who would say, no, my team doesn't sell. That's yeah. the sales team. But <laughs> it's, you know, the, the, the right model, at least in, in this person's view, is in the middle. You really have to do both sides and you have to invest in those other areas as part of sales as well. So I'm an engineer. So I'm always going to break it down to kind of the framework and the numbers and so the first one we talk about that product-led sales. Yeah. If you imagine those two scenarios, the, the first scenario where it's not product-led, you know, the sales rep calls up, confirms they've got a problem, let's dig in, discovery, sell, versus the second one where you've got this lower stress, get a chance to validate that the product is solving pain points for you. And based on the way you use it, someone reaches out and says, hey, by the way, let's get you over the finish line. One of those is much friendlier to the customer. And, and it's the second one. So I'd go so far to say it's, you know, product sale led sales is not just an option. It's the future of B2B selling. And so it's, you know, do you want to be involved in the future or not? You know, our listeners can answer for themselves. The second one though, about customer success being a selling function. Again, let's break it down to the dollar figures. Like 
you close a deal, do you want it to turn in one year? Or do you want it to turn in 10 years? Really, what is it? And if you say that, and if you're out raising money, going to public markets on all of this kind of this annuity of your customer base, and you map it out on a timeline and you say, the revenue really is only tied to that first 10% of that life cycle, you're missing the signal. And so, you know, the idea of someone signing on the dotted line is really, now you have permission to actually sell them for the next you know, nine years. So customer success is absolutely a selling function. One of a business leader that I have a ton of respect for, and we're lucky enough to bring him into our team, you know, owned customer success for some of the hottest ed tech companies out there. And you know, the way he phrased it was best. He's like, customers are like trees. If they're not growing, it's because they're dead. And so yes, your customer success team needs to be helping your customers grow in their usage, the adoption, the value they have. And I believe you should assign a quota to the customer success team. Not everyone's comfortable with that, but even if you aren't assigning a dollar quota, you sure as heck need to have a quota around usage, adoption, and retention because they are part of that revenue team, whether you like it or not. And Joseph, let me add one more data point to that. So net dollar retention, which is the growth mm -hmm. of your existing customer year over year, it is now the number one correlated factor to enterprise value to revenue multiples. Totally, in fact, totally. it's now got a 0.4R squared. And for your audience, that's a logistical regression thing. But it's higher than even ARR growth. So yeah. being able to retain and grow customers is really key. And unfortunately, Mark and Joseph, we're coming up to the end of this episode <laughs> of Selling to Cloud. But we did want to ask you one last question to end the podcast, Joseph. And mm -hmm. that is, if you were talking to a recent college graduate or a very early career person who wants to view B2B sales in the cloud as a potential career path, what advice would you give to him or her? The big thing I'd say is give it a shot. It, you try it because if you just graduated, you're at a point in your life where you've got the lowest risk in terms of you've got the most time ahead of you. Your debt is tough, but it's at the lowest point. You've got an opportunity to actually give it a shot and you'll be amazed. So, Ray, I'm going to sneak in because this is what we do. I'm going to sneak in one last question <laughs> for us. And then because I think Joseph, you're the perfect person to help me personally with this. So I have seen throughout my career engineers, individuals that were trained in engineering in any, any specialty, not related to the business or not, mm -hmm. be some of the best sales reps that I've ever experienced in, in my, my career. And I have my theories on it. Quick question for you. Have you seen some of the same individuals that have spent all these years challenging, you know, and working through a, one of the most difficult undergraduate majors you can have in engineering and then decide to go into sales? Any thoughts on why I've had that experience? Totally. I, I see it all the time. Two things jump out. The first is grit, making it through that crucible of an academic experience. You've got grit and resilience, and that's going to serve you well. The second one is understanding the system and then leveraging it to your advantage. I mean, that's really what an engineering program is about, but also, you know, what the actual profession is about. And if you're in the right type of sales environment where they, they figured out how they need to sell and they've got an environment of coaching and structure, you can thrive like no one else. Now, the unfortunate reality is there's definitely still some sales teams that are a little bit more shooting from, you know, shooting from the hip, a little bit more cowboy. And sometimes those approaches will clash. But in the right role and the right fit, that engineering background is such a massive win. I love it. Joseph, thank you so much. Ray, will you close us up for the episode? Yeah, well, that's a great way to wrap this episode of Selling the Cloud. And to our listening audience, 
If you're enjoying the content and the guests that we're having, we would love and it would mean the world to us if you would become a subscriber as our, of our show and provide your rating and recommendations of how we can make the guest and content even better for you. Thank you so much, Mark, for being my co-host as always. And Joseph, we cannot thank you enough for being our guest on the Selling the Cloud podcast. Thanks for having me.